0: Listening to the unscripted, unfiltered, 100% authentic podcast. I'm your co host, Michael, and joining with me is the author of Spies on the Sidelines. He's an Army veteran for over with over 20 years of experience safeguarding and gathering information for the Department of Defense including the uh, D- Department of Defense including 13 years as a special agent during which he conducted national security uh, investigations and <clears throat> instructed federal agents in training and of course he's a graduate from the University of California Santa Cruz with a B.A. in history, graduating top honors with from American Military University. Without further ado, it's my honor to finally get Mr. Kevin Bryant. Kevin, uh, it's, it's been a I know it's because some uh rescheduled here and there, but it's an honor to have you on the show. And first things first, coming from a military veteran, uh, not a veteran, but a military family, my grandfather's flag is right next to me. Uh, more importantly, thank you for your service. It's, it's truly much appreciated. Absolutely, yeah. You're welcome, and thanks a bunch for having me on the show. Appreciate it. Hey, I'm looking forward to it. And and uh, tell the listeners out there a little about yourself. And of course, uh, you know, going from uh, army veteran to uh, working in the Department of Defense, and of course, writing a book uh, on spies on the sidelines. We'll obviously dig more into that here shortly. Uh, tell the listeners a little about yourself.
1: Yeah, so I think you hit most of the highlights. So I spent <laughs> eight, eight years um, in the Army, and uh, ever since then, I have been uh, working working for the Army as a civilian, um, and, you know, I, I guess it was, I was living in Germany at the time, um, and got real interested in everything to deal with, with uh, Spygate, and then Spygate 2, when Josh McDaniels moved over, became the head coach of the Broncos. Oh, uh, yes. Yep. Uh, He was formerly the Patriots offensive coordinator, I think, as most of us know. And, you know, the the Broncos got in trouble for taping another team's practice during that period. And being a Broncos fan, I just really got wondering, wow, you know, I wonder, is this, you know, are these incidents just, you know, something that happens once every three, four or five years? And, you know, we read about them and that's it. Or is this endemic of, uh, you know, a a bigger underlying issue? Or, you know, just is there a Mm -hmm. lot more collection that's going out there in the NFL that no one is really aware of? So, you know, I set out to at least answer that question for myself, if I could. And somewhere along the line, I realized that no one had written a book on the topic. Um, I had wanted to write one for a long time. And I was like, you know what? I just got to go all in and and uh, try to try to make this happen. So I spent eight years researching and writing this book, um, doing a lot of things in the middle. Um, obviously, working a full time job. Mm-hmm getting a couple master's degrees, one you know, um, and then also, um, you know, I was coaching soccer, doing all that kind of stuff and traveling around Europe, both for work and pleasure. So man, it took a long time, but it was, it was a labor of love. So, and now I'm finally sitting here and talking to you about it.
0: Hey, well, it's an honor to have you. And of course, you know, kind of, You know kind of you know looking at it obviously you know said it took you about eight years roughly and eight years to get everything you know to get your book written everything else how did you manage your time obviously coaching to two master's degrees of course a family and full-time job Uh, how what was your best time management and how did how did that kind of work into your into your lifestyle
1: yeah, so I really don't waste a lot of time. Um Fair I, You know, I'm, I, I've am i got a type A personality. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, you know, I grew up, my dad was a Navy officer and he has a definite type A personality. And I was living in, uh, you know, around Los Angeles and Santa Barbara, California. And I was just this cool, relaxed, you know, soccer player slash surfer. And I was like, man, I'm never going to be like my dad. <laughs> 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 And, you know sometime around i guess you know late high school early college it just it, it kicked in and i was i was uh in that way ever since so um i like to do a lot of things there's a lot of things i want to do in life um and so i find that you know it's it's tough though you know i mean yep. especially when you got a family i've got a wife and a kid and obviously you know they demand a lot of a lot of time and rightfully so so i've got to be care- very careful about that balance of making sure I give them enough time while still, uh, pursuing, you know, my, my hobbies and my yeah. interests and my passions. So, um, it's a challenge. I mean, what it really means for me is I don't have as much time to just chill as I would like. Um, right. but you know, um, there's, there's trade-offs to everything in life. So you, you,
0: absolutely, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and i think uh you know i applaud that i think uh, i was on a twitter space last night and wong kind of mentioned a good buddy of mine and he's another one to, to definitely get on his and and you know we talked about uh, you know making a name for yourself you know continue to pursue goals even though you have not so much of a busy schedule but you know you know we all have lives of course full-time jobs marriages kids what have you and and or even, you know, single parents out there, obviously that's, you know, like a task in itself, but um, how far after your um, military life, uh, how, how long did it take after you uh, left the Army, I should say, till you decided that you went to write the book and if it was during your military, um, career, how was it kind of juggling that along with trying to get everything kind of ready to per se in your, in your book?
1: Well, so I was out of the military, but having said that, you know, I mean, I literally hopped out of the military, became a civilian and was working in the same Mm -hmm. office, uh, within a few months later. So, you know, it, it, it wasn't all that different. Um, and frankly, the demands that I experienced as a civilian were probably just as great as when I was in the military, cause I was still deploying. Um, I was still doing all the same stuff I was doing before just, um, you know, wearing a different set of clothes Absolutely. really. Yep. So, uh, you know, it, I <sighs> So yeah, I mean, it was it was very it was very challenging. I guess you know, moving to Germany was great because I had deployed, I would say, four times in about six years. Wow. Um, as a soldier and then as a civilian, and then moving to Germany, I didn't have to deploy anymore, which was fantastic and great. Um, you know, I was kind of in I was in a staff position, I was overseeing things and kind of in charge of running programs as opposed to doing stuff, which was great. But. Um, But, yeah, I mean, working to master's degree right then, I was coaching the girls high school soccer team. I was the president of United States Youth Soccer for a chapter. Um, I was coaching two of those teams, which were Olympic development feeder programs. Um, I was traveling all throughout uh, Europe for work. And, um, you know, it was it was and then writing a book you know, on top of mm-hmm. the all because why not? Um, right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly. Just
1: keep it going. Just, you know, just, yeah, keep tossing more on there. Um, you know, I guess what I would say is, you know, it, looking back at it, it was kind of foolish. It was mm-hmm. too much. You know, it really was. And, um <laughs> I, there's just so much stuff I wanted to do and I loved, you know, there's only so many times that, you know, I'm a big soccer enthusiast and I mm-hmm. love playing soccer. I played NCAA ball. I love coaching. Um, I knew, you know, it's very hard to get a high school coaching job unless you work for a high school, and it kind of just fell in my lap. And I, you know, and I was like, man, I really love it, and it's hard to just say no. And the same thing kind of happened with all the other soccer stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and by the end of it, my wife, my wife was just kind of like, Kevin, this is this is just this is stupid, man. You got too much stuff going on, um, and I did, and I did. Uh, so I've pared down now. Um, but of course, you know, promoting the book is a whole nother beast in and of itself that consumes just as much time as all of that together. Um, so I guess what I would say is, you know, um, you gotta do a little prioritization, you know, you have to, um, you gotta be, you gotta be willing to put the family first when push comes to shove Mm -hmm. and just say, you know what? I no longer have time for this. Like I'm no longer playing soccer, which absolutely kills me because I'm a diehard soccer (laughs) guy. And I just had to say, you know what? I, I, I've got to drop something. And, um, so, you know, I had to prioritize it and I, I think, you know, I don't regret that. Um, but, um, yeah, life's full of tough choices.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Understandable. And, and, you know, looking at your, you know, I ordered it and hopefully you get here, here shortly, but, um, you know spies on the sideline of course we all think you know the 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 incident with new england you know we new england's pretty much the the ball gate if you will um or the inflate uh ball gate but anyway you know you look at new england of course other you know things <laughs> you look at everything was it your you know thinking about how you know i'm gonna write a book i'm gonna do this was it this literally despised on Asylum. sideline was that your intention of writing that as your first book or did you have other intentions but this one really just hit the hit the head i hit the nail on the coffin so to speak
1: yeah you know i what i really wanted to write was fiction i, nice. I love i love fantasy you know mm-hmm. i'm a big uh like robert jordan fan brandon sanderson um So I wrote a book and I submitted it to a publisher Um, and uh, yeah, the the results weren't good uh, to be frank. You know, I just kind of got to like, okay, you know, thanks for submitting. Um, And so I just let the whole idea of writing a book drop for like five years because I, you know, I looked at it later and I looked at some of the comments I got back and I was like, man, they're right. And I, I really need to rewrite this whole thing. And if you've ever spent two years of your life working on something to realize that you pretty much just need to crumple that up and start over, it's uh, it's hard to do. It's really hard
0: to do. <laughs> I could imagine. Right? I can imagine. So I
1: was just like, you know what? Forget this. I Forget it. You know? And so I let it go for like five years. And then I worked on my master's and I wrote my thesis uh, for, uh, you know, intelligence studies. And I really liked the way it turned out. And I was like, Man. You know, that, that's really good. I was like, I could, you know, I could see this being a being a book if I stretch this out and whatnot. Um, you know, I, and I, I didn't want to really go that route, um, but it got me into writing again. And I realized that I was a much better nonfiction writer than I was fiction. It just suited my talents. And so, um, yeah, when the idea of, when the idea of, you know, for spies on the sidelines came around, I was just like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to give this a try. And I started, I started writing it and, you know, I was pushing, pushing the, uh, some, you know, rough drafts by Mm -hmm. friends and, and family and all that kind of stuff. And the feedback I was getting was really positive. Like, man, this is a cool subject. This is really neat. And, you know, and, um, and I could just tell it was, you know, the, the feedback I was getting from that was much better than I ever got uh, from from the, you know, the non the fiction book I was writing. And I was That's like, true. I was like, OK, I, I see. I, I can tell the difference. I, I can see, you know, I can feel it. So, um, yeah, I just kept on trucking, just kept on doing it.
0: That's awesome. And it kind of leads to the question that I think a lot of people, I guess, in a way you can evaluate, but don't. <laughs> When it came in your in your instance, negativity and uh, we see a lot of it nowadays, you know, not so much in the sports world, but just in our own lives, we see, you know, depends on the circumstance. But a lot of, you know, a lot of things going on in the world that can be really negative. But Mm -hmm. when it came to getting the book started, getting everything rolling from step one, even up to now, how did you handle negativity when it came to this whole process? Yeah. So, you know, first of
1: all, I tried to make this a work of fun, mm-hmm. enjoyment, right? I've got a full time job. Like, I, you know, I, I didn't need the book, you know, for any financial reasons whatsoever. Right. So I was just like, you know what? I'm going to work on this when I want to work on this. Mm-hmm. Because I think if you do something that you're not passionate about and you're not having fun, it's never going to be as good. Right. You're like, uh, it's like, oh, I got to do this today. Uh, you know, I got to type, uh, if you set yourself like a limit, like I've got to type three pages today. Okay. I think it's going to reflect in your book eventually. Mm-hmm. And so there were times, there were probably periods of four five, six months where at, at one time I just set it aside. I was like, you know what? I got a lot going on. I'm busy. I'm just not feeling it. I don't want to do this right now. And I didn't. Um, So, you know, it all it went through pretty well up until the six year mark, which is when I first submitted the book to a literary agent. And, you know, trying to find an agent is a very stressful thing because in each um, genre that you're writing, there are only so many literary agents out there. Okay, so for sports, there's probably I don't know, probably about 50 or so that you're going to find. And if, if 50 pass on you, guess what? That means you're not getting an agent. And if you don't get an agent, you're not getting a publisher. That's just the reality these days, right? So I probably was through about 30 of them. You know, just, you don't, you don't get any feedback. You don't get anything back when you submit. Okay. For the most part, I finally got one guy who got back to me and he said, Kevin, I, I," you know, he requested, he requested the manuscript. I sent it to him. He read it. And he was, he was real close to taking it. He's like, Kevin, I read this thing like three times and I'm not gonna take it. Um, but I'd like to have a phone conversation with you to tell you why. And so he was kind enough uh, to sit down with me and to talk all about the book and what he recommended to be able to get it published. And it entailed uh, basically getting a lot more contemporary material and starting each chapter with a long anecdote, you know, a three or four page story to kick off each chapter. And I was like, oh great, well, that just, you know, I'll only have to read 20 more new books. I'll only have to, uh, you know, write about a hundred new pages for the book and then I'll be done, right? And I was just like, oh my God, this is, you know, this is a disaster. And I didn't want to listen to him. You know, I put the book down for like a month at that point after I heard that. But, you know, eventually I came to see, you know, he's right, is mm-hmm. the bottom line. And he knows what he's doing. He's a professional. He's been doing this stuff for a bazillion years. Um, and so I just had to, you know, the theme of my book is whatever it takes. And at some point I had to adopt that for myself. And with only 20 literary agents left to go that I could possibly submit to, um, And, of course, he said send it back to him if he had a chance. But I knew there was a chance that I've only got 20 guys. So, man, I had to make this thing, like, as good and polished as it could possibly be. So literally every day I would just be working. I'd be like, whatever it takes, man, I don't care. Like, I've got to make sure, like, my word choice is perfect. My diction, you know, is good as can be. The sentence structure, it's great. I've got to make sure the stories are as tight as can be. i got to make the flow of everything just perfect because I knew I literally had 20 people out there that were going to decide whether I got published or not. And it was very possible that everybody was going to pass. And so I sent it back to the first agent and he was like, Kevin, congratulations. This book is awesome. But I'm only taking one new author this year. That's oh. it. And I'm just, I'm, I'm going to hold out. And I was like, oh, great. But he said, but you're going to get published that's the good news. And I said, yeah, okay.
0: <laughs> uh, wow. So
1: I started submitting it again and all of that. And I got to about, I had about 10 agents left on that list that I can submit to when someone said, Hey, I like this. Yeah, let's do it. I was like, oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> oh, uh, cause man, I mean, you talk about nerve wracking. I mean, it, it really is. It's, it's a, uh, It's, it's, it's a very stressful process to go through and look for an agent. Yeah. So.
0: Was there any, you know, I've never written a book and I don't know if I ever will, but was there any, let's say doubt. Did you, was there any doubt in your mind? Like this may not ever work out or did you just have that belief that somebody's going to pick this up? We just got to be patient.
1: (laughs) Well, Mike, so the reality is that 99% of books that are submitted Mm -hmm. To an agent, to a literary agent, never, they don't succeed. They wow. never find a literary agent and they never get they never get traditionally published.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So you're looking at really steep odds. Wow. And you have to be realistic with yourself of saying that. Having said that, I just said, I don't care. Right. I just don't care. I, I understand those are the odds. And I had a few things working in my favor. You know, the topic is pretty cool. It's, you know, the book applies. The cool thing is Spies on the Sidelines. It applies to every team. Every team is involved in collection activities. You know, whether it is, you know, permissible techniques, controversial techniques, or techniques that are flat out illicit, meaning that they violate NFL rules or bylaws. So I knew writing this book, I had a book that applied to every NFL team, which was, okay, that's a big seller. Espionage. Everybody, you know, I mean... Pretty much everybody loves a good spy book or movie, right?
0: Absolutely. And
1: I combined the two. And it's an original idea. No one's ever done anything like it. Um, So, and I had the background. You know, I had, you know, I've got 23 years now protecting and collecting information for the Department of Defense, all the special agent background. So I knew I had some... Some hopes, you know, some things that the average person didn't have, um, the average writer didn't have when going after a book. Um, So I just said, you know what, I don't care. I'm just going to believe in myself and go all in, you know, and if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. And you know what, life goes on. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just had to tell myself, you know what? Like I've always been a cocky little brat. Um, I I think I attribute it to soccer because, you know, I think if you're ever good at one thing, you know, and soccer was that thing for me growing up that I was always really good at. And I think once you develop that one thing in life, you know, you can apply it to everything. You know, I wasn't a great student in most of high school. I kind of turned it on late in the game. Um, But you know what, when I decided to turn it on, uh, because I, I, you know, I felt really stupid when I saw my wife's report card, you, you know, my girlfriend at the time. And she was like right. a 4.4 4. 4 student, you know, and I was like, oh, <laughs> like, you know, I was like, oh, OK. Um, I was like, I better get my act together. And, and, <laughs> and so but I had that confidence, you know, I, that, OK, I can do this. And I just applied it to writing um, when it when it came time for that. And um I think, you know, I think that's just something, you know, you just have to have in life. You just have to be um, just have to believe that you can, because if you if you don't have that belief, no matter what it is that you're trying to do, you're not going to get there. And so you just got to jump in.
0: <clears throat> it's funny, but in a good way that you brought that up uh, a week or two ago. Wong and I hung out. He's a good friend, hosted the Funny Moments. And, you know, literally I told him, because it was, you know, talking about jobs, stuff like that, and just life in general. Sometimes you got to get out of your comfort zone in order to take that step, whether regardless if it was in your in your case, right in yeah. the book, my case, you know, uh, certain things here and there, change of degrees, career paths, such and mm-hmm. such and so on and so forth. And so sometimes in order for us to grow personally, not just within ourselves and boost our confidence, I said, sometimes we got to step out of our, com- our, our comfort zone. And I really like when you said that, hey, I'm going all in. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this to get this out there. And uh, hey, whatever I got to do, I got to do. And I like that because it shows that, you know, a lot of people, they assume like <clears throat> they play the role of, well, if I don't get this by a certain day, we're well, just going to, you know, toss our hands, throw in a white towel and, and call it a day. But I love your mentality. And that's something that, you know, even past this show, I'm going to keep in my head like, hey, just go all in. Do, you know, do what, you know, literally do. I'm going to do whatever it takes to, to get wherever I got to go. And I applaud that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, thanks. Um, you know, I mean, that's the theme of my book: is whatever it takes. It was a it was a phrase that was used by uh, Al Davis and Chuck Knoll, both um, some of the great coaches in NFL history. And you know, the one thing I saw research in the book was that uh, all of these NFL these NFL teams that are winning championships, right? A lot of them are using some of the controversial, okay, or or plain illicit techniques. You know, you look at like coaches like, you know, George Hallis, who's considered like one of the founders of the NFL mm-hmm. and the, you know, the first coach of the Bears, Vince Lombardi, you know, Al Davis with the Raiders, Sid Gilman with the Chargers. Um, obviously Bill Belichick, you right. know, nowadays Weeb have with the Jets, you know, these are guys, you know, you look at how many championships that these coaches together won. And I was just like, you know, these are the guys that are getting it done because they are willing to go all in, you know, and, and and it may be by tactics that a lot of fans would find kind of repulsive. But at the same time, what I read, you know, like with Al Davis, who I kind of despised being a Broncos fan before I researched the book. Yep. Yep. But, you know, after researching him, especially when he was in his prime, he was so good, but he wanted to win so badly. Like, he just put it all out there every single day. And, you know, I got done and I was just like, man, I got mad respect for this guy now. <laughs> like, he, yeah, absolutely. you know, I mean, he was just willing to do whatever it takes. And, you know, and I love that. And I, I think a lot of people now with Billichek, you know, they're just like, oh, you know, if you're not a Patriots mm-hmm. fan, man, you pretty much despise that guy. Right. Absolutely. But I think that's because. He's a current coach. I think when people read about him 20, 30 years from now that, you know, aren't, didn't grow up in this yep. era, they're going to look back and be like, oh, that dude, that dude was pretty cool. He was like, the, you know, he was like, you know, an Al Davis. He was mm-hmm. just a guy who was willing to do whatever he, whatever it took. And man, there's some really cool stories about what he did and what he was willing to do. And I think those guys, they add a lot of flavor to the NFL and, you know, is, is, as as you know, disheartening I think as it is at times um, when these guys are doing their stuff. You know, it's um, they do it because they love the game. They want to stick around the game, and um, and obviously they want to be successful. And uh, you know, I mean, as much I, you know, I, I just I've got some respect for it as much as I do some uh, some feelings of uh, you know, so you know, a little a little hole in the pit of my stomach too. <laughs>
0: Yeah, of course, it has nothing to do with the book, but you brought it up, so I'm going to ask you anyway. I'm a fellow Broncos fan as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice! I want, to, Great. I want to get your thoughts on Denver's new quarterback, of course, Russell Wilson, mm-hmm. and uh, what what are your from, from your personal standpoint on the uh, 2022 season? What the expectations should be.
1: Yeah, so AFC West this year, first of all, is brutal. So, you know, it's a tough division to figure out who's, who's going to – you know, I think the Chiefs are still the team to beat, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, the question is, who else makes the playoffs? And I think you're going to have three teams coming out of the AFC West that make the playoffs. The question is, who's the team that's left out, right? Because you got, right. you know, uh, the Chargers, the Raiders, and the Broncos are all looking pretty solid. Um, love having Russell Wilson in there. I think, you know, he brings it. He gives a whole new dimension to the game. He's obvious. He's a clear upgrade on what the Broncos had before. Um and he brings a ton of leadership. And I yeah. think we've seen that in the offseason already with, you know, just, you know, Russell Wilson's going to give everything that he has to the game. And um, I think he's got a motto of like, give four times more than what anybody mm-hmm. asks for him. So, like, you know, if they ask him to throw, you know, 25 of a certain pass, he's going to throw 100 of those, yep. y- y- you know, and you got to love that and you got to respect it. And that that's contagious. And we've already seen that with the players that are around him just willing to give more and spend more time. So, um, if nothing else, I think that'll, that'll bring a lot to the, to the game. Um, and I think we're also going to see the effect that we had with Peyton Manning, you know, um, to a certain degree, obviously not quite the same level as the Peyton Manning, but exactly, right. you know, he was able to bring in a lot of talent that were just like, Hey, Peyton Manning, I want to go play Peyton Manning. And I think we're going to see now players go, Oh, Russell Wilson. Sure, mm-hmm. especially when the Broncos have some success this season, which I expect they will. We're right. gonna see um you know some talent come to Denver that we couldn't attract before because there's that there's that aura around mm-hmm. Wilson and, and the wins that are going to ensue because of it. So you know, I would say comfortably the Broncos are gonna be, I think I wanna say ten and seven or better. I would expect a ten and seven or eleven and six. Um, I think that's you know, if the AFC West doesn't wasn't so strong, I might say a little better, but um I think that's probably realistic. I think they they'll 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 manage to get um a playoff, you know, a playoff spot, whether that's the wild, you know, probably a wild card spot would be my guess. And um, you know, then once you're in the playoffs, it's all about who's peaking mm-hmm. and who's healthy. And um, you know, I don't think this is gonna be a Super Bowl year, but um but I'm excited. It's, I think it'll be a fun season for the Broncos.
0: No, I'm with you. I think that, and i mentioned it uh, not just on here, but on a podcast I was on the Herb and Raj podcast not too long ago. And pretty much, you know, <clears throat> Herb asked, you know, what's the expectation to be like in Denver? I said, you know, pretty much like you said. I think it, we make the playoffs regardless of what our record is. Not probably not so much division winners, but uh, you know, if we get if we get to the uh, playoffs i mean i don't expect the super bowl this year i think next year probably more realistic but i mean like you said it's all about who's hot and who's cold in the playoffs and if you get that one Mm -hmm. special run i mean you you never know so no i'm with you i think it's gonna it's gonna be an exciting time in denver um i know i'm excited it's about time we have a a quarterback that we can Really rely on now <laughs> from the last six six years, and I can't remember how many quarterbacks we've gone through. But right. but uh, no, it'll be <laughs> it'll be a fun time nonetheless.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just nice to have that position filled. Like check that box, <laughs> done. Thank God.
0: Yeah. Yep. No, I, I I'm a uh, I'm I'm a hundred percent on it. But um, but no. So going back to the <clears throat> excuse me, going back to the, the book. How many hours and the reason why I ask this is is you know, obviously you're a big soccer person. Growing up, were you ever did you watch much football growing up or was soccer really your your go to sport? I know you know some Say so, yeah, whatever. But you know, some people it's soccer. I'm starting to learn the game, so I'm a little. I'm a new freshie to that one. But uh, okay, is uh, is is uh, soccer your main sport growing up, or did you actually, or did you actually watch some football growing up? Yeah. So growing up, um, I think I started
1: soccer when I was five or six, Very nice. and I was pretty much playing year round, two to three hours a day um, through college. Awesome. And, you know, um, so. I really, I, having said that, I didn't start watching professional mm-hmm. soccer um, until about high school. Um, but even then, you know, watching U.S. soccer, uh, was I was like, I mean, it's not it's not pretty, you know, a lot of times. And so um, it really wasn't until the English Premier League became a big thing over here in the States, which was. Well, really, when I came back from Germany, like, six years ago, I was like, what the heck? English Premier League's everywhere. Like, this is awesome, you know? Well, right. Because, um, I, you know, living in Germany, I'd watch <clears throat> Bundesliga games or Champions League games, and that was that was great. Um, but until then, uh, I was pretty much, you know, I grew up watching football, and I think I became a Broncos fan about sixth or seventh grade. Awesome. And I watched them pretty religiously all growing up, all throughout the, you know, the LA years. Oh, yeah. Um, so... Yeah. Um, all of that. And th- yeah, that's always been my main sport. I would say to watch on TV. I'm a Manchester United fan for soccer. Um, so, um, yeah, now that I can watch that a bit more, it's, it's, it's great and it's nice. And I watch a lot of both, but I'll tell you, man, writing a the book, I don't have the time to uh, <laughs> Like, I'll still watch all the Broncos games. Right. Um, I'll catch the man you games that I can find on TV. But other than that, I don't really have time to watch sports anymore. And, yep. and sometimes like I'm taping games cause I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't even have f- time to watch the full three hours. I'm like, I've got time to watch, you know, the hour and 15 minutes. It takes me to fast forward through everything and see exactly. And, see the play. <laughs> and that's all I got. And, and uh, you know, that's just where I am in life right now. So um, I would love just to be able to, you know, sit down with, uh, you know, some nachos and a, uh, and a nice refreshment and yep. just, chill out and laze about and watch three hours of football but i just i don't have that time anymore i wish i did
0: no i know the feeling it's it's and it's you know i always tell people because you always people well you know what what can you do i'm like some days it's just how it arose and at the end of the day i got more important things i gotta you know higher priorities and and uh those memories you can't uh you can definitely cannot take back so no I, i totally get it um when it came to research and of course uh, I'm excited I'm looking forward to reading your book. when it came to researching, how many, I'm sure it's a lot of hours, how many hours and books that you can recall that you went through <laughs> literally getting this book to where you know, as I call it perfectionist to your standards uh, how, how many hours and books did it take if you can remember?
1: well if i stack <laughs> if i stack all my books up i'm looking over there because i'm looking at all my books mm-hmm. i'm guessing it's probably about somewhere between 10 and 12 feet high wow. got books that i read so you know i i think i went through at least 60 books for this in research um it was a lot of time man and the thing that was that was really tough about researching this book is so no one had ever, ever written a book about on the subject of spying mm-hmm. in the NFL other than a Brian O'Leary who wrote a book on spygate right right but I wanted to write a book that was about all the all the techniques the teams used that encompassed every single team and that spanned the entire history of the league mm-hmm. so no one had ever done this right? And so yeah. I'm like, OK, I've got basically three ways to go. One is the Internet, which I've exhausted over and over and over. I mean, gosh, I, I mean, I, sometimes I spent hours just looking for a new article and I'd find one. I'd be like, oh, yes, I spent two hours to find one article like this. It's just ridiculous. Like, um, but I'd read these books, you know, and some books I'd read an entire one. 300 400 pages and i'd be like yep nothing at all and i'd be i'd be so frustrated you know and then sometimes i find a book that had you know three or four pages Mm -hmm. and i'd be like oh it's a gold mine three or four pages of material i can use you know (laughs) (laughs) and uh, (laughs) oh my gosh so it was really it was a struggle it took all i mean there's a reason it took eight years to put this thing together it did and um you know, and interviews were obviously um, they were great, but they're hard to get because you're mm-hmm. going after NFL players or coaches that they're they're hard they're hard to track down and get a hold of. One, their whole track. they're tough to get a hold of. Two, they're guys that make a lot of money and are very very busy. So, and I'm an unpublished author at this point. So, you know, like, hey, would you like to do an interview with some random dude who's never published a book who might get published one day, I hope, and, um, (laughs) you know, and then talk about a really sensitive subject Mm -hmm. that no one wants to talk about because either A, it's giving away trade secrets on how they collect and protect information, right? And then even if they don't want to talk about their own team, do you want to talk about another team? um that you know you may taint somebody's legacy or you may get somebody in trouble with the league because of them using you know these shady duplicitous Mm -hmm. techniques yeah no man trying to get interviews was tough and i managed i did i got some i had to i had to give people anonymity to feel comfortable to be able to do these things. Um, But, you know, it was, it was a lot of time for everything. It was a lot of work for all of it. It was a challenge. Um, So I'm really happy with the way it turned out. Um, Having said that I'm writing a second book on spying in college football right now. Uh, And being, being a published author opens so many doors, you know, once you can throw your, Hey, you know, I'm Kevin Mm -hmm. Bryant and I am with, you know, Roman and Littlefield, um, my publishing company. It's like, Oh, Oh, you're legit. Oh, you've got a, you know, you've got a website, you've got a publishing company behind you. You've got all this kind of stuff. And now when I ask, you know, for the college book, Hey, are you willing to do an interview? Man, it's so much easier. It's so much easier. I would say, you know, um, Uh, First of all, I have people coming to me saying, hey, would you like would you like to interview me, which is like that still blows my mind. (laughs) Uh, um, (laughs) But but when I do find people that I'm interested in, 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 you know, speaking to them specifically, I find roughly half the time it's just like, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, let's do it. And um, yeah, that's that's a way higher percentage than I was used to for the first book. So it's it's very refreshing. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well you answered my next question where we see a, a, the uh, the second part so to speak of your book and uh looking forward to that one and uh i can only imagine the research and information you're going to get out of this one i'm sure especially now with everything that's how big uh, yeah. college football is getting i can just imagine what you're going to find out and yeah and it's really out
1: it's really cool being able to talk to the coaches. So I'm getting firsthand information sometimes. I got one coach who was just like, hey, do you do you want like, you know, we collected on another team's signals um, and we put it all together in a PowerPoint presentation with, you know, here's the signal. Here's the corresponding play it comes down to, you know, we're talking about, you know, signals with a big a big name coach that they were, you know, going after and it figured out, you know, and he's like, you know, and I've got I've got a six or seven page PowerPoint presentation for you. You know, you can have it. You can use it in your book. You can you know. So, you know, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. This is great. So it's yeah, it's really nice to be at this point where, you know, information is just being, you know, kind of thrown in my lap. And I'm like, yeah, this is this is good. This is easy. I love
0: it. I like that teaser, by the way, I'll have to save that clip yeah. and use it as a teaser. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Especially for you. Uh, with that being said, of course, are we going to see a third book, you know, cause you know, we're, we're hearing about a lot about the Houston Astros and baseball. Could we see a potential uh, yeah. baseball down the road.
1: So, you know, I've got a list of all of my potential mm-hmm. next books coming out and I've probably got like, Six or seven ideas on that list, you know, nice. I haven't said that um, anytime you're writing a nonfiction book, especially if you're working a full time job
0: right?
1: with all the research that comes behind it is really it takes a long time. Uh, I got lucky for the second book because when I was going through after I probably read four or five books, I realized, you know what? Dummy, you might want to write a college football book after this. And I'm finding a lot of really good college football stories. So when I was highlighting material for the NFL stories, I just used a different color highlighter for all the college stuff. Oh, So when I was, you know, when I'm, when I was done and said, you know, Hey, I'm ready to start writing the second book. All I did was go to those books Mm -hmm. and start sucking that material out and put it in, you know, put it in a Word doc. Um, So it made the process, the research process much quicker for the second book. Having said that for the third book, when I'm starting from scratch again, um, (laughs) it's going to take a while. And I really haven't made up my mind what I want to write on. I've got a lot of um, I've got a lot of ideas. The baseball book is one. Mm -hmm. I will say that. But having said that, you know, when it comes to I don't think I will do another spying in sports book. And the reason for that is because football is very unique Mm -hmm. in that, you know, with baseball, baseball is the closest thing to football when it comes to spying, because you do have, you know, set plays coming in from a third party. Okay. Meaning that you have a catcher that is giving you the pitcher, a signal on what plays coming up. And as we all know now, right. You have the possibility to steal that mm-hmm. signal, whether it's being recorded or whether it's, uh, you know, the third base coach that's, you know, relay relaying that in or whatever it might be. Um, yes. You can steal that signal potentially. Having said that it's not the same as football. Okay. So football, you've got, 11 players on the field that, you know, an offense or defense that is what each member of the team is going to do on offense is fully scripted for the most part. Mm -hmm. And, man, that's kind of crazy. So you think about free-flowing sports like basketball, soccer, all that. Yes, you can spy on a team's practice, for example, but what is that going to give you? Okay, yeah, you may learn. Um, what a player you know, how a players take, likes to take certain free kicks or, um, you know, which way a certain player likes to kick penalty kicks. But at the end of the day, you're not going to get that much, right? right? Because the coaches don't control the game. The players control mm-hmm. the game in football. Coaches control that game. Yep. Right. And even if a player, such as a quarterback, calls an audible to change the play, it's still switching to a fully scripted play. And so there is so much more potential for collection in football than in any other sport that is out there. Um, so I think that's the reason that football is very different. Uh, and so while there is stuff in, you know, baseball and other sports, um, I kind of feel like, you know, I, it would be a challenge to come up with enough material for any other sport. And, and I just don't want to, you know, I just don't want to press it. I don't want to go, you know, I, I, you know, spent three years, right. Mm -hmm. Researching this book to go, yeah, there's not enough for it. Uh, (laughs) And exactly. No, I completely
0: understand. Yeah.
1: Um, But yeah, I know there's a lot of passionate baseball guys. I know a lot of people would like to see that book. (laughs) Um, I just don't think it's going to (laughs) happen. (laughs)
0: no i know you know of course baseball you know being the biggest one is houston but uh, no i'm sure you know i'm sure other sports do it but like you said is there enough research and is there enough information you don't know and obviously you know it takes a lot of time and Mm -hmm. like you said you may get to that fourth year third year and be like but we're just we're done and-
1: right yeah and to be honest i'm not a big baseball guy i'm, I'm just not no. i'm not passionate about the sport and i you know i think anytime you know my, i mean i love i love football i love the mm-hmm. nfl i love my broncos so yep. you know i've got that passion for it so it makes it easy you know when you're you know when you're struggling and you know um you know just to get you know get the energy up to do it. You know, it's, it's, it's sometimes it's tough, even with a sport you love much less. I try to imagine that with baseball, which isn't a sport I love and trying to write about that. Mm -hmm. I just, I think that'd be a challenge.
0: (laughs) I still think baseball needs to uh, shorten their season. I think it's too long
1: yeah it's it's, it's too
0: it's, long to keep up with
1: it's tough to it's tough to get up for every game and um yeah. i mean i had i had an uncle who did and he loved it and he lived it all the time and i just i felt the exact same way i was like uh why why do you care what happens in game you know
0: number 85 mm-hmm. of the
1: season yeah i was just like this thing it's yep. just, <laughs> just so long yeah
0: yeah as we wrap up is there any how should i word this without giving out Like the real games. Is there any teasers when it comes to spies on the sidelines? Uh, that you like to give out there, even just a minor one to to all the listeners. So they can, uh, I can help uh, market this book for you.
1: Yeah. Hey, if you, if you don't mind, Mike, uh, if you got like a minute, I'll read mm-hmm. you a paragraph. I'll read a paragraph Absolutely. out from the book.
0: So go ahead. This is kind of
1: like my, my paragraph that <clears throat> more or less kind of sums up all the crazy stuff that is in the world of NFL espionage. All right. While the phrase three letter agency is a euphemism for American spook organizations such as the CIA and the NSA. The NFL is a three-letter agency in its own right. Behind the game day action of the NFL is a world much like the cloak and dagger realm of American intelligence agencies. The NFL has its own history filled with espionage-related stories that sound like something right out of the Cold War. Spies disguised as reporters, military officers, and priests and even a dwarf playing the role of a baby being pushed in a stroller. That's a crazy story, by the way. Um, covert <laughs> surveillance of target's movements, hiding draft prospects by shuffling them in and out of hotels and aliases, tapped telephones, signals interception, decoy signals, encryption, code breaking, and radio frequency jamming, false flag operations, monitoring air traffic and airline passengers. Spies scaling rooftops and telephone poles, and clandestine photography undertaken from high-rise hotels with long-lensed cameras. Peepholes, secret listening devices, surveillance photos relayed by zipline, and whispered conversations masked by running water. Stolen documents and trash cans sifted for secrets. Subversion of individuals mired in debt, and a hilltop secured by Navy SEALs. So, yeah, that's, that's part of the crazy world of uh, all the fun spying adventures in the NFL.
0: I'm excited about this one. This one's really going to be interesting. <laughs> I'm really, this one's going to be a good one.
1: Yeah, I I, I I hope you enjoy it. I think anybody who's a real football buff um, will enjoy the book. And, um, you know, even even people who aren't football, if you just like a spy, if you just like a good spy story, mm-hmm. um, honestly, that's that's what it's it's all about. I mean, essentially, it's corporate espionage is, right. you know, is is what a lot of it is when you get to, you know, some of the the higher end illicit stuff that's going on, you know, spying on practices and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, if you're a football fan and you just want to understand, I know, I know most of us that are hardcore fans, we just want to understand the stuff behind the game more, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of the inner workings. And man, I think that's really what sets this book apart is because no one really understands the inner workings of the spy industry. Um, unless you're like on the inside of a team. And when I say on the inside of a team, man, you got to be a coach because you got to be a coordinator or a coach because everybody else has a very small picture of what that's going on. And if you think that the whole team's going to know about, you know, them spying, sending a spy to go watch another team, you know, another team's practice at their stadium or at their practice field, heck no. That's kept in very, very, you know, um, a tight group of people know about it because they, they all, you know, they want, they want plausible Mm -hmm. deniability. They want the chances that information is ever going to get out to be as small as possible because they know they could get in trouble with the NFL if it ever happens. So man, there's very few people that know. I mean, I talked to coaches about things um, that I was like, I I just realized that, you know, at some point I was like, you know, I'm not talking high ranking coaches, but you know um, like a secondary coach or something. I was like, I know more about this than they do. Like, I mean, it you know, and I was just going, wow, you know, so I think there's a lot of really good inside information. I think for anybody who's a football coach um, out there, I know there's quite, probably quite a few listeners who are, there's oh, a lot yes. of stuff that you can learn and be able to apply mm-hmm. to either how you go about collecting information, a lot of it using permissible ways, or how do you defend against it? And, you know, and I don't put all my own thoughts in there on it. There's, you know, I kind of frame the subjects, but you've got literally um, a whole hit, the whole NFL's history about how teams went about collecting it and defending it to be able to pick the brains of the smartest coaches that have ever been around the NFL and to, uh, you know, pick up, pick up a lot of the tactics that they utilized.
0: That's some good stuff right there. I got nothing up but but to say that. That's just some good stuff right there, Kevin. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, where uh, last question, and then of course is uh, where can the listeners uh, buy your book from?
1: Yeah, so it's out there on Amazon, of course, um, Barnes and <laughs> Noble, Books a Million, basically any of the major book retailers has this thing online. Um, it is out in hardback. On ebook and audiobook. It's not yet on Audible, which is, um, of course, Amazon's mm-hmm. um, aud- audiobook uh, service, uh, but it will be there shortly. Um, but you can go on my website and see all the places you can buy the book. It's spiesonthesidelines.com. And that also has all my social media, social media handles. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. Um, I'll give out my Twitter one because I know that's the one everybody loves. It's at Kev Bryant author. So at K-E-V Bryant author. And um, the last thing I'll say is my audiobook is about.